Hey, what's up, everybody? Today, we talk about when it's not a good idea to bring a third in. We also talk about how to help our kids. And finally, the five, to me, top moments in hip hop history. All that and more on the Ty Digger Show. Buckle up, everybody. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ty Digger Show. And this is the September 18th uh, episode of the Ty Digger Show. I believe it's episode 38. And I am so happy to have you guys here with me. And it's crazy that we're rocking towards 40 episodes already of this show. So it just tells you how fast time flies. Um, I started this in late May and we're now in spring now we're going into fall because fall is coming up next week and hoodie weather so fellas if you hear my voice protect your hoodies ladies if you hear my voice that's his hoodie leave his hoodie alone get your own hoodie but um i don't want to um stay on the hoodie topic too long because i actually want to um talk about something serious um and that is our kids um Again, you know, COVID-19 is out and about and it's been difficult for our kids to get into school. And you now have some schools who now have to go back to a distant learning module. And, you know, and our kids are away from their friends. You know, one of the most important things about school is not so much as the education. And and I'll just take a, a brief detour from that. It's not so much about education. It's about the fellowship um it's about meeting new people and and learning stuff about people and and i feel like you know our kids are not getting that right now and they're not okay um in a way you know they're kind of stressed out um they're dealing with a lot this is new adults are able to adapt to the new things um i think we are it's easy for us to adapt um i know it's frustrating for us because you know, we're used to doing things a certain way, but 
we have means to be able to adapt and uh, talk to our friends. And a lot of our kids don't have that same those same means means a lot of our kids, especially younger kids, they don't have cell phones. Um, they don't have access to Zoom and things like that, although a lot of kids now are getting said access. But. We should think about them and while we're thinking about them, we should think about how much work we're throwing on them. You know, um, working with kids and seeing what they should be doing educationally. And and I get that. And I want to be able to teach the kids. And I think kids should learn, still learn during this time. But we got to be understanding about what they're going through. You know, uh, we got to understand this pandemic is happening to them, too. Um, this pandemic is happening to teachers as well. And a lot of your teachers are stuck between worrying about their families and stuff like that and still having to teach their kids. And they're being asked to be compassionate towards the kids. But while they're being compassionate, they're also asked to be rigorous. And, and I think you can't have both at the same time. I think there's a way we can teach kids skills without dumping a whole bunch of work on them. I think there's a way we can teach kids skills without having them sit in front of a computer all day. And the fact that they're sitting in front of the computer all day, you know, it, it wears on them. I mean, think about some of you guys, your job, a lot of you guys jobs are sitting in front is sitting in front of a computer all day and it's exhausting and you need to get up and walk around. Our kids are not getting that. Our kids are being forced to sit in front of a computer from 8 a.m., 9 a.m. to 3, 2 or 3. And that's difficult. And you probably hear my kid in the background right now. He's doing his best he can do to be socially active. Um, he's hanging out with his friends um, virtually. Um, they're on Zoom doing their thing. And it's difficult for them. We got to keep that in mind. Like, it's tough for them. This isn't something new for them. This is something they're going to be talking to their their grandkids um, in 40, 50, 60 years about the time COVID-19 struck and how the president dropped the ball on it. And I've talked ad nauseum about that. And they'll be able to be able to talk about that. They'll be able to tell grandkids. They'll be able to tell kids that's born in 2040 what life was like in 2020. You know, so I think we should be mindful of what they're going through. Um, I think school systems should scale it back a little bit. You know, yes, I do want teachers to continue to teach. Um and I do want the lessons to continue to be given out, but I don't want it to be in a situation where they have to be in front of a of a computer all day. Like maybe let them learn it at their own pace. And and just maybe what we're going through right now, maybe this is the wake up call for us to, to throw off the shackles of tradition and and teach in a different way. Have them learn in a different way. Have them learn as we all want at their speed. You know, maybe some kids are early morning kids. Maybe some kids are afternoon kids. But as long as the work is being put in, I don't see a problem with any of that. You know, 
I don't see a problem with a kid waking up at 11 and looking at what he has to do and doing his work between three and seven or doing his work between 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. And some kids are up late at night, maybe having them doing their work between midnight and three. Like, and I'm not spitballing here, but I don't think there's nothing wrong with with kids being able to learn at their own pace as long as they turn into work in a reasonable time, you know? So I, we just need to be able to work with them and understand that they're going through this too. And, and I want America to understand that their teachers are going through this. Um, you know, I've had a conversation with family members and they talked about how they feel like they're teaching the work themselves and what are the teachers being paid for? And then you know, I tell them that, you know, the teachers are up all night planning these lessons. Um, they're working on these lessons and they're working on teaching these kids while they're dealing with their own kids. So, you know, the teachers are going through this pandemic as well. And at the end of the day, guess what? They're your kids. Yes, you have to teach them. Yes. You have to teach them. You're there with them. You lay down and created these children. You made a choice to bring these children in the world. And I'm talking to the brothers as well. You brought these children into this world. So, yes, it is your responsibility to work with them. It is your responsibility to teach them. And, you know, and you're, it's not like you're making up a lesson plan, but help them. Be with them. Interact with them. They're your kids, you know, like you can't skip that part of parenthood. You can't go from the cute. Oh, that's my baby. And I, and I love dressing them up in cute things until and then wake up one morning and they're graduating from high school and you're sitting there as the proud parent. No, there is a process between the day they're born and the, to the day that you die, you know, to the day that you go to the next to the next level to you go with the ancestors they're yours forever and ever so that's just my two cents on that talk about it sending a message to the show if you need to and maybe next week we have a conversation about that yeah so when we come back more information um we're going to talk about third-party candidates okay all that and more on the ty digger show hey welcome back everybody and right now we want to talk about something important as we come around to uh, election time and that is the third party candidate um at this moment, I don't know if there's a third party candidate, but I have seen a lot of chirping on the Internet or Al Gore's Internet about voting third party, um, going third party. Why are African-Americans giving their votes um, to the Democrats where well, we could be doing third party? And honestly, I agree with those people. But here's my issue with the third party. Um, well, there's several issues I have with this mindset. Um, one, uh, the first issue before I even get into the third party is why do we hold the Democrats to such a standard that we don't hold 
Republicans too. Like, um, it doesn't matter what party is in office to me. Um, I need African-Americans to actually have the right to live, the right to prosper, the right to pursue happiness, um, basic human rights. Um, and I don't want any government, whether it be conservative or liberal, to um, hold those rights back. Um, one of my issues with the Republican Party itself is the hostility that they show towards people that are not white men. And let me say that again. It's the hostility that the Republicans show to people who are not rich white men. And and I see a lot of poor white men, uh, white women, African-Americans um, join the Republican Party because they for some reason they have this belief that these people are going to treat them well. And there's been not one time in the last 30 years that. They've received this, excuse me, the last 40, 50 years that they have received this. And I don't understand why we continue to flock towards that party. But it also underscores uh, another issue. And that issue is that when people talk about third parties, they talk about our party. And when they say our party, they mean African-Americans. Um, African-Americans need to have their own party. And one of the mistakes that we make with that is we continue to believe that African-Americans should be or are a monolith. And when we all have different ideas, ideologies, um, I've talked to a couple of black Republicans and they're sensible people for the most part. Some of them are. Um, and, you know, they talked about why they chose to be Republicans and it underscores that we're, we're different. We're not all the same we, we don't all have the same mindset. One of the things that brings us together, though, is the fact that we dealt with slavery, the fact that we dealt with the civil rights movement, the fact that we continue to deal with systematic racism like that brings us together. But for the most part, um, our mindsets are completely different. Um, and guess what? That's OK. I don't have an issue with that. But what I do have an issue is why would you support a party that's totally against who you are. Um, and, and, and I'm be clear once they get rid of the people that they're angry at, they're going to focus on you. So I don't understand why people do it, but I don't want to stay on that too long, but I do want to make clear that we think differently. Um, all of us think differently. Like my mindset tends to be a little more liberal, but I do understand why people are conservative. And 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 think about this. African-Americans are extremely conservative, but the Republican Party has been so hostile towards blacks. Like the Republican Party is all about white men getting rich. That's all it's been about. And they have fought back against anything that might even suggest that an African-American gets ahead and the fact that they use, well, they use to their base. And, and I want to be clear, their base is poor whites. The fact that they push this narrative to poor whites that 
they're not robbing their pockets. Those African-Americans are robbing them. Those African-Americans are getting welfare. Those African-Americans are getting free education to these schools, which actually none of that's true. But they can push that to their base and their base will continue to vote for them. And guess what? Their base has never benefited from any of this. You know, one of the things that it gets it upsets me sometimes is when people say, what have the Democrats done for African-Americans? I would ask a Republican white, what have the Republicans done for poor whites? What have they done for you? If there's any white person who's middle class, who is not, who is struggling or anything like that, who's a Republican, let me ask that question to you. What have the Republican Party done for you? Have they created more jobs? Have they improved their way of living? Seriously, that's a question that you need to ask yourself. And for some reason, only African-Americans who vote Democrat get asked that question. What has the Democrat Party done for you? And I want to be clear here that I don't think the Democrat Party is pure. I don't think they're all great. And I do believe there's racism within the Democrat Party because racism is an American thing. But why do only black Democrats get that question? Why do black Democrats only only have their ideas questioned? How come nobody feels that, you know what, that black person thought about it and he wants to vote Democrat? It only seems to be black Republicans get this reward that, you know, oh, he's a black Republican. He thinks before he votes like and I don't understand that. And I feel like just voting to the opposite of what your group votes does not make you a rounded voter. It doesn't mean you were thinking um, voting against the status quo just to be voting against the status quo doesn't mean you thought it out. It means you're probably just as much of a sheep as those people that you claim who vote Democrat or sheep. So I just I just wonder where is that mindset coming from? And I just want to bring it back to the third party thing. Um, I don't have a problem with third parties. I don't. Um, and I think we should have more parties here in our, in our electoral system, in our political system. There should be different ideas going to Washington. It should be different ideas representing us. I'm OK with that. But my problem with third parties are is they only show up during presidential elections. You only hear the Green Party during the presidential election. It's never during a midterm election. You don't really hear a lot about third parties doing that. And I and if I was a member of a third party, I would understand that it's a process. You know, if you want your party to uh, thrive, it you just you just can't pop up during the presidential election. You got to pop up. During a regular election, you got to pop up. You got to have a candidate running for mayor of a of a city, uh, county commissioner, um, school board, um, council member, governor, maybe um, Senate, Congress. You, you got to start having candidates in those races as well. Um, even if you don't have that type of money to support multiple candidates, maybe maybe a third party candidate can start thinking about running in 2024 and start pushing that idea next year. You know, look, I know you're tired of such and such. I know you're tired of having this 
decide between Republican and Democrat and not getting what you want. Look, in 2024, give us a look and start posting ideas, start gathering people, start building now. You know, you think about 2024, if you wanted to run for 2020, I think people should have been working on that in 2017. And we're in the internet age. A lot of these third-party candidates have the ability to push themselves now by the internet. It's not as expensive as you think it is. And a lot of these third-party candidates are billionaires, millionaires. They have money. They're able to push that narrative. And all you have to do is win a certain percentage of the vote to get yourself in that in that circle. So maybe you don't win in 2024, but if you get enough people, now your party is looked at. Your party can now receive funding. You know, you I think a lot of these third parties need to start thinking of the long game instead of somehow throwing anarchy in the presidential uh, election. You know, start looking at the long game. And I'm personally I'm more than welcome to having multiple parties in this government. I'm more than welcome having a party that can force the Democrats and the Republicans to start actually giving in on their promises, to start doing, start making good on their promises instead of just promising and saying, oh, well, that party didn't let us do it. So if you're a third party candidate, maybe this election is one that you should throw away. Maybe this election should be one that you're pushing to get Trump out of there versus coming in and trying to um, throw a monkey wrench and everything. And you ever notice how Republicans don't have these type of candidates? It's been a while since we had a conservative, quote unquote, guy run as a third party. Uh, Maybe Ross Perot. Maybe. Maybe one of my poli side guys who are listening to this con this um, broadcast can chime in on that. But for the last couple of years, a lot of these third party candidates have been labeled as liberal and they've divided the liberal vote. And that's been det- detrimental to the liberal party. Um, so this is a thought. All right. So we're going to go to commercial. When we come back, we are going to talk about the top five moments. Ty Diggers top five moments in hip hop history. On that, on the Ty Digger Show. Hey, what's up, everybody? And before we leave, I just want to talk about a couple of moments in hip hop history that I would rank up there as my top five. Um, some of you guys would... Um, beg to differ uh, about it. And there are some other moments that were just as shocking uh, or just as wild. But these are the moments me personally, and it took me a while to come up with these. Um, It took me a couple of days. I started thinking about this Wednesday night after I finished my Wednesday show. And, and I still feel like I should switch, switch these in and out. But without further ado, here it is. Ty Diggers, Top five hip hop moments. Um, number five, Easy E having dinner with um, George Bush. Yes, President George Bush. Like um, a guy, a gangster, um, 
you heard Boys in the Hood. You heard um, Easy E's first album. You heard N.W.A. Niggas for Life. Um, you heard all that. Um, Ash, uh, Cash, or Gas. Nobody rides for free. Like you heard a lot of that, and the fact that Easy E somehow gets invited to have dinner with George Bush. Um, yes, cocaine in the community. George Bush is is crazy to me and from what i understand it was a mistaken identity but it got sent to him and you know what he took it um he ended up having dinner meeting george bush which is crazy especially um back in the late 80s early 90s where rappers um didn't rub elbows with politicians especially white politicians so that was crazy um for me, I don't know if I would have accepted it. Maybe I would have. I, I'm not sure. But it also spurned, um, created one of the greatest opening verses. Well, not opening verses, but opening lines to a verse. And that was Ice Cube's uh, No Vaseline. I never had dinner with the president. I never had dinner with the president. I never had dinner with the president. And next time I see you, I'll be hesitant. Like, it was a crazy time and and I was going to put Ice Cube dissing NWA on this list but I feel like there were some other events that were bigger than that so I wanted to throw EZD out there as number five as one of the craziest moments in um, hip hop history okay and so let's move on to number four Luke winning the lawsuit uh, the freedom of speech lawsuit um, you remember the song banned in the USA um Two Live Crew got into a lot of issues with people and a lot of um, politicians. Some had great intentions. Others were just doing it for uh, political points of trying to censor uh, the Two Live Crew. And for those of you my age, you remember what they talked about. And it was raunchy. Um, it was extremely raunchy. Like if your parents allowed you to listen to it, you were lucky. Because a lot of people, I knew a lot of people who were not allowed to listen to this music. Um, I wasn't one of them. Um, me personally, I could not put in the tape to play it. But if my older brothers back then played it, my mom did not get upset about me hearing it because it was just music in the room. I wasn't allowed to talk like that or talk about it. But, you know, I was allowed to listen to it. So shout out to mom, mama digger for that. But. The fact that they was able to win that and that victory um, set the stage for a lot of rappers after them to be able to talk about what they wanted to talk about. And not just rappers, artists in general were allowed to uh, talk about what they wanted to talk about. So that's so that was definitely a huge moment in the history of hip hop. And if it wasn't for two live crew, it wasn't for two live crew going to the Supreme Court with this. Maybe music is a lot different. Um, we don't get WAP. There's a possibility we don't hear WAP if it wasn't for two live crew. So, you know, give a shout out to Uncle Luke uh, for that. Number three, and this is a big one. This should have been a little higher, but the two events in front of it are probably um, definitely bigger. Old Dirty Bastard. I was going to just choose a moment but nah old dirty bastard is 
probably humanly by himself one of the biggest moments to me one of the craziest moments in hip-hop history when Wu-Tang um dropped one of the first artists uh first first members of that group that I really focused on was old dirty like just the way he came in on the mystery of chess boxing and and it was just wild um just listen to that first album just the cuts that he was on in that first album and his first his first album um brooklyn zoo like old dirty bastard was a character but he had a great heart um chasing um being chased uh to the train uh somebody tried to rob him he ends up getting shot um saving a young lady um a little girl who was trapped under a car you know you just come out of nowhere and 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 save that young lady um the welfare picking up welfare after he's a big rap artist like you know and you know you felt him on that like it's free money why he's gonna turn that down let's go get this money not even the fact that he goes to the welfare office he goes to the welfare office in a limo <laughs> he, he is styling and profiling in the limo so um and of course we all know about him in the purple suit telling everybody that you no know, puffy's good but wu-tang is for the kids like and it's one of those things like if another artist did it it it, it comes off as it, it comes off differently um when Kanye interrupted uh, Taylor Swift, um, a lot of people like uh, it, it didn't get the same vibe with ODB. You didn't feel the fakeness. You didn't feel that he was trying to promote something. He just simply felt that Wu-Tang was dead wrong. You know, he, he felt Wu-Tang was for the kids. And as far as this guy is concerned, Ty Digg is concerned, ODB is the, the best artist in that group. I mean, I, I love Meth, I love Jizza, I love uh, Capadonna, I love Ray, I love Ghost. But as far as I'm concerned, ODB is my favorite artist in the Wu-Tang. Like, I drop everything for o ODB song. Um, and that run that Old Dirty Bastard had in the mid-90s um, up until his death was crazy. Especially that short little window of run from when Wu-Tang dropped into maybe the late 90s um, with... Um, dirty get your money with Khalees. like it was amazing and a lot of people wanted him on their song and the fact that he was able to blend in with so many different artists um made him amazing so rest in peace um russell jones um asan unique dirt dog um old dirty uh chinese restaurant <laughs> i mean just so many names dirt mcgurt um you know, take care, man. And I see you when we, I see you when it's my turn to uh, head up to the Lord, man. Um, number two, the Source Awards. Not just any Source Award, that Source Awards. And you know the one I'm talking about. The one where somebody asked if you want to be an artist and I have to worry about your producer, all in the video. That Source Award was crazy. And and I hear and I see a lot of young people talk about it, but I don't think you understand like seeing it live. Oh, my goodness. It was like it, my mouth was my mouth was on the floor the entire time. Like, unfortunately, it 
did start the East Coast West Coast um, battle, and Outcast gets booed during that time. Uh, and it was one of those things when hip hop became the regional, the regional aspect of hip hop um, came kind of came to a head. And I'm glad hip hop is a little different now. Like it didn't matter now; it doesn't matter where you're from. But back then, it really mattered where you were from, you know. And as a East Coast head, as a New York rap head, you know, I, I kind of felt bad that guys like Outkast got booed. I felt bad that Snoop um, got dragged into that, you know, because I like Snoop. I like Outkast. And, you know, as a rap head, I, I loved all that stuff. But the New York heads, they wasn't feeling it. And I, I felt like Suge Knight threw gasoline on that fire um, that night. And even that night itself was crazy. And it ignited an entire war. What brings us to number one, 1996, fall of 1996, spring of 1997, the deaths of Tupac and Biggie Smalls, two of the main rappers, the main rappers involved in that um, controversy. And I'm not going to get into that, but. You, you, you kind of felt like a lot of people woke up after Biggie died, after Biggie and Pac died. A lot of people realized that, you know what, you know, beefing with each other just over music when we can all get paid is, is wrong. And it fills me with sorrow sometimes because, you know, I felt like we were robbed of a Biggie and Pac album, you know. And, and I want to go a little further with this. I feel like we were robbed of some, a lot of dope death row bad boy possibilities. You know, a lot of East Coast, West Coast possibilities. We're like, we were robbed of that because we could not keep ourselves out of the East, West, our hood, their hood uh, mentality. You know, we didn't grow up from that. We didn't grow from that. And, and I hope as we continue to move forward with the culture, that we do grow from that, that we do see a lot of rappers that we love, regardless of where they're from, that they're able to get together and, and make music because we didn't really get a full bad boy death row tour. You know, I know a lot of people in the West Coast love Biggie. A lot of people in the East Coast love Pac and Snoop and Dre. Like we everybody loved that. Good music is good music, regardless of where you're from. So if anything, I hope we learn. But that time, those that time between Pop being shot and Biggie uh being shot and both dying, that was a crazy um it, it was a wild time, you know. And I think for me, that was one of the wildest moments in hip hop history. So if you want to tell me, if you want to um uh, call in and tell me what is your wildest moment in um uh, hip hop, please feel free to hit that message link that I'm putting on the uh Twitter, Ty Digger One, for those of you that don't know. And we're going to end the show there. See you guys on Tuesday. Take care of yourselves and have a safe weekend. Ty Digger signing off.